Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Well, welcome to the first episode yes. of You're Going to Hate This Book. Hello. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> so I guess the best way to introduce this week's book is to tell everyone how you got the idea for this podcast. Yeah. So um, I recently switched jobs and I have a long commute. By long, I mean three hours round trip in the car two times a week. Um, not every day, thankfully. So I've been listening to a lot more podcasts lately, and um, book ones in particular, as I am an English teacher. And I don't know, it just occurred to me, like, I read a lot of books. I have friends that read a lot of books. We have a lot to say about these books. And of course, I thought of you first, Stephanie. Well, thank you. Um, Because we are very close friends. We've been close since we were randomly assigned to be college roommates our freshman year. Um, But we don't read a lot of the same books, as you know. (laughs) Uh, because we are in a book club with some other friends, and and we have discovered that over the last few years, uh, that we have different tastes, but I think respect each other's tastes. Yeah. Um, And that, along with the fact that conversations are always more interesting when there is a difference of opinion. Sure. And so I kind of had this idea of, okay, well, what if we do a podcast where we take turns and just pick a book that we know the other one would never read normally, but we are going to read it for this podcast. Right. (laughs) Well, and specifically about this book, because I right, right. busted into one of our book club meetings and said, <laughs> right. hey, how dare you? I hated this book. <laughs> you weren't that complicated. Uh, sure. I remember your face. You looked so like, like, oh, I have some bad news. <laughs> I have to tell you, I really didn't like this book. Yeah, you seemed very, like, contrite about it. But um, once you told me your reasons, like, it made sense to me. And so that was, that had happened previously. Um, so that was probably rattling around in the back of my head. Um, which is where the idea for this this podcast came from. So. Okay, well, you love this book. What is I this do. book? I do. This week, yes, I got to choose a book I love that I already know Stephanie hates. Um, so it is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, it takes place uh, in contemporary English society in the 90s, although that is not made clear from the beginning. We follow three uh, main characters. It's told from the perspective of Kathy, um, and she talks about herself and her friends, Tommy and Ruth, and their time at Hailsham, which is a boarding school. And the book kind of separates into two equal parts. There's the first half of their time at Hailsham, Um, where not everything is made clear to the reader right up front. And I should go ahead and clarify, we're going to be saying spoilers. Yeah. So (laughs) we'll try not to gratuitously, but for this book, we're we're really going to have to talk about it. But about halfway through the book, it is revealed that Kathy and her friends are, in fact, clones. 
Uh, and they are their purpose in living is to have their organs harvested for the people they are clones of. And so their life expectancy is, is very short. And so the second half of the book, once this is revealed to the reader, is them coping with their friendships, coping with their mortality in a way that is a lot more, um, I guess, immediate for them than a normal person uh, and it would be. Uh, and eventually, at the end, you know, well, we'll talk about the end later. I'm going to... I'm going to give it to you, Stephanie. So (laughs) we're going to start out. Stephanie is going to tell us why she hates this book. Okay. So first of all, I would give it a, I gave it a three out of five stars on Goodreads, but that was a roundup for two and a half. I was being generous. It's also really hard for me to rate things really low as a writer. I've just, I cannot be that mean to another. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Um, Okay. What I didn't like about this book was that the premise is so interesting. I mean, clones who are designed for organ donation it's very um it's marketed as dystopian and Mm, mm. i just went in like expecting something else i wanted to hear about this society how did we get to this place where people have decided that this is okay have they actually not decided that this is okay and your regular person doesn't even know that this is what's happening like um was there some kind of plague or whatever that led to this development do the people overthrow the evil government like do we v for vendetta do we (laughs) do we hunger games do we handmaid's tale even and the answer is no we talk about a 13 year old's problems and she loses a cassette tape at some point and that's very (laughs) sad yes if i wanted to know about a 13 year old's life i'd talk to a 13 year old and i'm not gonna do that i it just felt like the premise was so interesting and how dare you offer me that premise and then just not tell me about any of the stuff. Okay, so yeah, that begs a question. I want to specifically ask you, what did... So in the future, we are going to try not to know anything about the book before we read it. But for this one, our first one, you already knew a good bit about it before you read it. You knew that I liked it and some of our other friends liked it. Tell me more about what you what your perception of it was going in because it's a pretty well-known book right so actually there's a movie of this book and i watched it a long time ago oh i didn't know i cannot remember when i watched it but it was a fair bit ago and the only things i remembered from this movie were a scene where they're in a diner and there's three people in a diner two women and a man who are our main characters um and it's very like quintessential england like it's gray outside and it's drizzling <laughs> and they're i think they're eating like fish and chips like it's very england and they're all white and, and they're fish yes <laughs> um and the other scene that i remembered was kira knightley's character right Ruth. Mm-hmm. um s- very melancholically staring at porn <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, uh-huh. those are the two bits that I still had in my mind about this book. Which does about, happen in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the movie. And I remember thinking, wow, the concept of that movie was so interesting. But actually, the story was really slow. But the book is always better. So I guess I'll go try the book. <laughs> well, egg on my face. <laughs> no, it's a pretty decent adaptation. <laughs> yep. It was exactly as slow. <laughs> Okay. Well, and I told you, you obviously don't remember this because you don't remember that I'd seen the movie. But I said, hey, you, oh, I like saw on your bookshelf. Um, Oh, you have this book. I've seen the movie. And you were like, oh, I love this book. It's so great. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to trust Hannah because the movie was so-so. But I bet the book is great because, you know. Did I say anything about the movie? Because I like the movie. I don't remember. Again, we should have talked about it. This was a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I've had this book on my shelf for a good number of years, which I'm going to talk about later. 
Um, okay. So you knew that going in. So what else didn't you like about it? Definitely the premise and you needed more. Right. Um, I would have liked to like learn more stuff. They mention other schools, especially at the yeah. end, and how mm-hmm. like the other schools are not as good as Hailsham. Everyone's very right. lucky to get to go to Hailsham. Like Hailsham kids are treated better. And like, how are these women and babies chosen? Because we learn a little bit about like um possibles and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know how these people come to be. Well, I would love to know that. That seems like a dark and seedy underbelly of the thing. And no, it's just like, it's like a sentence. Um, Again, how society got to this point. And it's like, is society better for it? Is society worse for it? I just wanted to know more stuff. Um, I also, I didn't like the characters. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you, um, you mentioned you don't care about a 13-year-old's problems, (laughs) which, fair point. Um, but what did you think of Kathy's voice in the novel? I bland is the mm-hmm. first thing that comes to mind, and she spends so much time talking about other people who I don't like. Uh, like who? Ruth. Uh, okay, yeah. I didn't really like her either the first time oh, I read it. She's <laughs> awful. I mean, Tommy gets better but i mean we're introduced to tommy and i'm like okay you need to calm down a 13 year old boy fine you know probably all the hormones yeah sorry about the testosterone kid um (laughs) sorry about your life clone (laughs) well sure it's puberty's hard on anybody but definitely a clone i guess i don't know um i really really hated this ruth that the friend yeah she was intolerable she was an awful friend yes i was funny with that uh and Kathy, I guess Bland, like, she's a pushover. She mm. never says, oh, and I re- I recognize that this person who's my best friend is an absolute wretch of a human. Yeah. I recognize that I've been treated badly and I deserve better. No, she's just like, well, that's just how Ruth is. And she's yeah. really mean and manipulative. And do you feel like... Maybe it's revealing too much about myself. Do you feel like you had a friend like Ruth when you were a kid? Like when you were that young age, maybe not 13, probably not by that point because we had more exposure to the world than these characters. But like when you're, I'm thinking like first grade, like did you have that friend, one of your first friends where now looking back, you're like, oh, they did not treat me well. But sure. I didn't know how to friend. Sure. But I, I'm, th- I can't even like pick a name, but like the answer is yes. I know. I have the- a name. It's <laughs> Andrea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> um, I, I just know that that must have happened to me, and especially since I wasn't particularly popular right, in yeah, school. Me we're um, doing a book podcast. <laughs> well, we were obviously <laughs> homecoming queens. No, no. Um, but I wouldn't have considered that person, like, my best friend. No, I don't think I've ever had a sure. best friend who I tolerated for years who treated me mm. like this. I had that girl who you're close to in class because you got seated next to each other. And so, like, now right. you're quote-unquote friends. And then when you get to the third grade, you don't talk to her anymore. I had one of those. Sure. I did yeah. not I don't still talk to this girl. No, I don't <laughs> talk to Andrea either. Um, yeah, but she did make fun of me for being in the, like, lower-tier reading group than she was. Oh, well, who has a book podcast now? Who doesn't? <laughs> oh. You know, fair. Fair point. But um, I don't know. that Because that relationship made me think of that, I think, when I read it the first time. And just, even though they're, like, 13, 
I feel like the things they're feeling and thinking, I did at a much younger age, which I'm sure is... Right. They're probably emotionally and socially stunted. stunted. Yeah. Which, yeah, maybe that's part of the reason I didn't... I don't think I could have, like, put it that way, but maybe I was, like, listening to these 13-year-olds' lives being, like, I'm listening to a 5-year-old's life, and, like, that's even Mm, less interesting. Um, But, yeah, I really just wanted someone to, like, smack Ruth a little bit and be like, hey, I know you're a clone, your life is probably really sad that you're going to have to die and be an organ donor, like, against your will, but, like, life's short, be nice. Do you feel like it changed, though, or do you feel like your opinion changed the second half of the book once they get out of Hailsham and they're in the cottages? No! She was worse than... <laughs> she was like, "Oh, I know that you've loved this boy for forever, but we're gonna go have sex in this room of the cottage." Bye. Where you can hear, by the way. Yeah. Uh, oh, does this hurt your feelings? Yeah. I'm gonna go have sex with this guy who I know you're in love with, and then she is so rude when they take that trip to the shore or something. Oh yeah, I remember that scene from the movie. I recognize that she is near death, and if this were a real person, I might have more empathy for no, her. It, but go ahead. She needed to chill (laughs) yeah well no i definitely never liked ruth a whole lot to be fair um but specifically kathy's voice do you feel like it matured at all that second half Hmm. or was were you still just as bored with her i feel like i was just as bored with her i kind of no i don't really feel like she grew up and i don't know the the writing style bothered me Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. which for our listeners, <laughs> I have written several books, but I am currently unpublished right. and unagented. So I, I That's feel more like, than I've written. Girl. I feel like Mister. I would be like, well, which one of us has a book deal and which one of us doesn't? No, but, no, no. But like, I've always heard, don't, don't introduce this past thing and then flash back to the past and tell us about the past. Which is that? That's what this entire book is. Yeah, I teach that in my English class. Show not tell. Like, yeah, like page one is telling. Hi, I'm in. Here I am. I think I, give... I have the first, what is it, the first quote that kind of even introduces you um, to that voice that's very indicative. <clears throat> now I can't find it, but um, I have the book right here. Of his style of writing. Yeah, like, just read, I think it's the first, the first sentence or two. Oh, here it is. My name is? Yeah. Yeah. Go Want ahead. me to read it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you read it. My name is Kathy H. I'm 31 years old, and I've been a carer now for 11 years. That sounds long enough, I know, but actually they want me to go on another eight months until the end of this year. Yeah, so very reportery, like yes. very cut and dry, um, which is, yeah, that is part of uh, his style of writing specifically and, like, in this book. These, I've always been told, you know, put us in a context. Is she driving in the car? Is mm-hmm. she sitting at her table drinking tea, reflecting on her life? Nope. This is just, she's just talking to you. Mm-hmm. We don't find out mm-hmm. where she is, what she's doing, whatever. And then it's just like, all right, I'm going to go back and tell you about my past. These things are not going to happen to you right? in the moment as the reader. I'm just telling you a long story. And I've always been told not to write like that. And, well, <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, I, you're not hurting my feelings. And I do not, I think your criticisms are fair and shared by others um, as well. Is there anything else you want to say about it before I offer some counterpoints? Well, I felt far away from the action because of what we just the talked narrative about. narrative distance. Yeah, and so on. I yeah. feel like that's maybe part of why I didn't get close to any of these characters. I didn't feel like I was living some experience with them. I 
I felt like I was watching like a hazy movie of something that happened to them in the past. I don't feel mm-hmm. like I connected with them. And in the end, you know, as we can tell, did not care for them really. Tommy was the most likable of all of them. I oh, think. interesting. And okay. even still, iffy on Tommy as a likable person. <laughs> um, <laughs> you brought up a really, I think, interesting point about what you knew going into it, the premise of the book, why it was marketed that, or that it was marketed that way. Because um, that specifically, I did a little bit of research on it, and that is a problem, I think, for this book in particular. And when you go into a book with certain expectations, it can really damage your perception, your right. reception. Part of, of it's that it didn't live up to what I thought it should be. Right. Um, there's a fun article that was published just, I think, just this year on mental floss, and it's like nine things you didn't know about Never Let Me Go. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to... Which, by the way, did you know they're making uh, an FX series? What? They're adapting this into a series, yeah. It's going to be more than one episode? Well, they better make it more. From the small Hollywood Reporter article I found, I don't think it's, like, just the book. I think it's set in the world of the book, but it's, like, different characters. So someone might finally give me what what you're asking for. And you and so many others. Thank Um, you. (laughs) Nine facts about Kazuo Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go. Right. Number six. He, meaning Ishiguro, doesn't necessarily think of it as sci-fi. <laughs> um, he does not call it sci-fi. He doesn't even really like thinking of it as speculative fiction, like you mentioned Handmaid's Tale. He said at most it's an alternative history. Um, and that he thinks it, well... So essentially it should have been literary fiction. Yeah, so... Some of the, re- what he did, and there's a really cool YouTube clip that's like less than four minutes long, and it's a part of an interview he does for the movie. And it's funny, because you can tell whatever question preceded it, his his discussion that is not in the clip. Somebody had, <laughs> asked, somebody had asked him about, like, his literary influences, and specifically Philip K. Dick. And um, he just starts out by saying, like, yeah, no, he wasn't an influence. I'm sure he's a good writer, but I've never read him. Oh, (laughs) that's very, like, oh, I don't know her, Mariah Carey. (laughs) Yeah, um, because he doesn't really read sci-fi. And he doesn't really (laughs) consider this book a sci-fi. But when you get on Wikipedia, that is, like, one of the first things it says. Um, And so it gets to the heart of, like, what his intention was and how how it was marketed because he started with the character of Kathy. This was number one on the Mental Floss article. This was originally going to be about lounge singers. <laughs> what? How did we get from here to there? <laughs> he had this character of Kathy and this voice in his head, for, I guess, for a long time. And then he decided he wanted to explore this idea of friendship that the three have as well as the idea of, like, our own mortality and specifically young people thinking that their love can somehow make them immortal because that's kind of Kathy okay, and Tommy's. I mean, that's a cute sentence. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of Kathy and Tommy's whole thing at the end when they go to yeah. whatever her name was. Is I should say at the top here too. I have not read this book in a hot minute. Marie Claude. I wrote down the name. <laughs> they go see Marie Claude and yeah. Emily. <laughs> yeah. Which one was the one that they actually like lived with at Hailsham though? Because there's Emily. one Emily. Marie okay. Claude is the one that came in and like yeah. took their art and scrolled yeah. it away, and they yeah. didn't know what happened to it. Oh, the art! We went on about the <laughs> art for forever. <laughs> and when Tommy gets like so obsessed with his really niche version of art, I'm not yeah. sure if you're because he wasn't very good at art. No, and he like, it's like oh baby, you're good at sports. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> sports don't make you immortal. <laughs> no, <laughs> probably more so than art does. I don't know, <sighs> but yeah, like 
there's this huge portion of the book that just talks like really in depth about do you like this art piece that I made? Maybe this one will cure our love. And right. They're all like really pitiful. I just want to be like, Tommy, do you need a hug? Yeah, when they, okay. So I'm going to back up. Maybe we should have started with this. I don't know. I So I love this book, but I also read it in 2011. Oh, what so, was going on in our lives in 2011? Well, I'll tell you what was going on in my life because that's, I mean, normally I don't chart the year I read a book. Were uh, you in Europe? I was. I knew it. So have we not talked about this? No. Okay, good. Okay. I just knew that you were in Europe in 2011. Yeah, so I read this book when I was studying abroad in Belgium for three months in, 2000, in the spring of 2011. Uh, specifically, the book that, like, the hard copy that I read, which you have with you, Stephanie, um, is the one that my then fiance, now husband Brandon, bought at Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Oh. When we visited. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading it on trains and like just going through Europe. So where I was at in life was just a joyous occasion. Yeah. <laughs> and I had time where I was literally just sitting on trains, traveling from country to country. So I generally, and listeners will. Uh, get to know this eventually, I'm sure. I like slow books. <laughs> I like lots of detail. Um, but I didn't mind it because I was, you know, sitting on trains. Right. And, you know, I was also, like, young and in love. And the the love story angle, I think, of the book caught me as well at that particular time in my life in a way that I don't think it would now. Right. Um, so I, I think it's interesting and something I want to explore in further episodes, like, where you're at in life... And where you're at physically can affect the way you receive a book. Right. Um, I have not, and I say all this as set up, say I did not, I purposely did not go back and reread this book before this you podcast. you got to keep that same tone that you right. had the first time. I want to now, but before we, <laughs> before we recorded, I wanted to keep it the way it is in my memory to talk about. Um, because there are things you revisit sometimes that, like, hold up and then some that don't. Um, right. I've gone back to Europe since that study abroad trip. And, like, one city in particular that I loved that first time around was Florence. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, really jazzed to go back. And the second time I went back, it was just a letdown. I love Florence. <laughs> I, I did, too. And then I was really sad. I don't know if it's just because I was really tired and I was trying to find my sister and meet up with her, like, which was a whole thing. And anyway. Yeah. But then there's other cities I visited, like Barcelona. Great, second time around. Even when I got caught in, like, a mass protest and we couldn't get out of the city, like, <laughs> I still loved it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's definitely true. Like, if I'm just in a bad mood, there are yeah. certain books that I'm like, I should not start this right now. Like, I'm not going to like it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I definitely understand what you mean. I also like a slow book. It's just got to be interesting. You can make the pace <laughs> slow. It just has thought, to be I interesting. Remember being, I remember being so gripped by it. Which is, I don't know what that says about me. But I'm happy for you. The first half, so, and a lot of reviews and things I read don't really mention the love story in it. Yeah. But it really, I really enjoyed it. And I don't read romance novels, which we'll probably talk about later. Yeah. Well, that is um, the two scenes that I remembered from the movie. Mm -hmm. The scene of them in the diner, they were discussing this possible deferral. Is that... The, oh yes, the deferral, not having to die from lack of organs. Right, right. So this, they heard a rumor. Can we spoil this? I mean, yeah, we've already spoiled half the book. Sure. <laughs> um, so they hear a rumor that if you're in love, you can defer the giving of your organs so that you can live with the person that you love a little bit longer and like a little bit longer. Is right? it specifically like because you're in love? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because they this. want you to be able to 
be, be with- together for a little while. And I don't know, maybe I'm making this up, but I feel like it's like five years. Like it's not even. Not a long time. No. Yeah. It's like you get five more years to go be in love and. You're still going to die because you're still gonna going rip to rip your do- heart out. Yeah. It's like, it's not, never mind, you don't have to do this. It's right. just, you get five years to go be in love, like go be happy. And right. because they hear this rumor, they go about trying to prove that they are in love enough to justify to justify getting mm-hmm. a deferral and try to go find out the person who can grant them this, you know, is this true and can we have one? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do remember that. Like, that stuck with me, too. Of this movie that I remember essentially nothing about except for these two scenes, <laughs> I remembered this, yeah. and that was the thing that I had in my head when I started this, and I liked that, too. I, I hated that we got bogged down in his weird art because they are trying to use the art to prove that they're in love, that your art, right. like, says something about your insides that no one, you know, you can't lie through it. Yeah, and that's something that you mentioned earlier, like, Hailsham is, like, a special school compared yeah. to some of the other schools. Because when they meet other donors, I guess yeah. you call them, that's what they call them, right? I, yeah. They, yeah. They go through phases before they're donors because, like, Kathy's a carer at the beginning. Um, but... Yeah, that was one of the things that made Hailsham different is the the Marie Claude mm-hmm. would come and take their art and essentially to try and prove that these are humans with souls worth something more than just their organs we're going to harvest from them. Um, yeah, I've not a- all of them, not all the boarding schools for people like them were like that. Apparently. Right. And that's. I think if I remember right at the end, they're saying like that's why we started Hailsham is because yes. these other schools were just like organ donor farms, yeah, like raising yeah. chickens, but they're people. Like puppy farms. Yeah. Oh, and so mills. we tried to make Hailsham and we tried to give you an education. We tried to be kind to you and we like taught you art and taught you music. Yay. Congratulations. You're mm-hmm. still going to die. So like I got that. I wanted to know about these other schools. What are these right. conditions? And yeah, That's but you, scary. you said something earlier that now I don't want to like call you out. I think no, you're wrong. Go ahead. But you said that they are organ donors for the people they're cloned for. I don't think that's accurate. Cause they give I feel like, like I I feel like when I read it I was confused about that because they give like four three to four organs however yeah. many they get who it and it seems like I read a couple different articles like going into this and it even seems like other people are confused like are they a donor for a specific person or are they just like well you're not even supposed to like you because there's the idea of possibles right, right. but. The like a best organ match isn't necessarily your parent it, because that's almost too close. Oh, it's like true. your sibling, so I don't think it even would be like scientifically best. This is me talking about medicine um, for it to I'm be not like. Sure, I should girl even put that much thought into it. <laughs> right, the well, science I mean, anyway. I don't. I don't know how many people are alive needing four different organ transplants. Yeah, because the whole thing is like maybe you can logical. live to do three, and if you're a really great donor and we keep you alive long enough, you can live to do four, and then you complete. Oh, uh, I hate you that com- so bad. You complete. That's so awful. And the idea of the care, well, and the reason that Ruth is looking, well, I thought it was Kathy who was looking through the porn. No, it's uh, I don't know. In the book, it's Kathy. Ruth is the one that goes on the tirade about, like, we are modeled on trash. Yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Kathy, the the narrator, is looking through, like, Playboy magazines to try and see if she looks like any of these women. Right. Because... She's trying to find her possible. Right. Because apparently the people who were cloned are sex workers, mm-hmm. the poor. They probably paid them 
a little bit of money. And so, like, it's people who are on the fringes of society who ended up, I guess, donating, question mark, yeah. their DNA to be cloned. And so these kids... Oh, so troubling. These kids are aware of the fact that they come from, quote-unquote, trash. Right. Not my word. Ruth's That word. was Ruth's word. Um, we don't like Ruth, so... Yeah. So... Again, that is interesting. What I just said was more interesting than part of the book. Like, I would love to know, you know, what's the guise under which these people, you know, are they offering up their DNA for some kind of financial gain? Are they roped into it and coerced? Are we just picking people off the street that no one's going to know? That's so interesting. No one tells you. No one's going to tell you. No. Um, And because... That's not his point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that YouTube um, little snippet of an interview I mentioned earlier, he he specifically says in that interview, and he's got, like, I think Carrie Mulligan sitting right beside him because it was in the wake of of that movie. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan plays Ruth's character. No, she's Kathy. Really? Keira Knightley's Ruth. God bless. I'm just messing it all up. I I saw the movie a long time ago. They're all wayfish white people. Right. Which also... Anyway, (laughs) which I don't know that he's really that specific about their race in the book, to be quite honest. I think it's just the white assumption. Yeah. And that it's England. Sure. You know, Um, there's actually a really cool article about that. Now I'm going off on a tangent, but I'm going to share it because it was really cool. Um, It's on Electric Lit. It's by Mimi Wong. um, And it's called Kazuo Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go is a masterpiece of racial metaphor. Um, because he's had criticism for not writing enough Japanese characters. He's mm-hmm. he's Japanese, but he's been raised in England. Um, and she was she makes the point basically, and I'm really summarizing, but that these characters are ambiguous, and that this book works really well as just a metaphor for any race. He doesn't specifically say. Yeah, it takes place in England, but it, right. it isn't said. It's. It's white assumption that if a character is not right. specifically designated as a certain race, everyone just assumes white. Even non-white people have a tendency to assume mm-hmm. white because that's how stuff is written. But yeah, so I'm, that's I'm on gonna, us, I guess. Yeah, I'm not going to go into detail there, but if you want more, check out Mimi Wong's article on Electric Lit. We can it leave it really in cool. our show notes. Yes. yes. Show notes. I know, we have show Look notes. <laughs> anyway, um, but he says specifically in that short interview that... Um, his intention for this novel was a metaphor for the human condition and for mortality and for that idea that, you know, we are trying to extend, I mean, basically trying to be immortal, whether it's through art or whether it's through our love or our relationships. And he really, the mental floss article kind of walks through how he had these different ideas for this book. He had the idea of Kathy H and then the idea of exploring this friendship and the last piece. And he talks about this in the interview too. The very last piece he laid on top of this whole book was, okay, well, what if they're clones? <laughs> well, that explains just, a lot of it. It was just like, he literally says it was the last piece of the jigsaw. <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's not spread throughout the book that's the way why one would want. It's not developed. It was just for no. him, the vehicle of exploring that metaphor. Um, I think, I can't remember where I read it. It might've been on Wikipedia. Um, that this is a, this is a mortality parable. Yeah. That it's allegorical, that it's not it's not trying to do the things that science fiction does. Right. Or, or even dystopia. Because I was Oh no, yeah. I wasn't even thinking science fiction, I was thinking dystopia. Well, okay, everyone would say to me, a writer, don't write like that. Don't 
don't throw in a huge Mm -hmm. idea and just, like, sprinkle it like salt over the top of a finished piece. And, like, I love the idea of it being an allegory or whatever. Like, it could have been a short story. It should have been a short story. Oh, well, that's not... Yeah. That's fair. (laughs) Right? I don't think it's just, like, trash work. I think it doesn't need... Well, and I think that gets to the other thing I liked about it. So one of the things that gripped me was their romance. And I have to confess, like, when I was reading it, I, I totally bought into the whole deferral idea. And I was like, yes, they're going to go. Oh, you're so because cute. Because this was, you know, how many years ago? 11 years ago? Yeah. Uh, I think if I read it now, I'd have been like, guys, you're screwed. <laughs> like, they ain't going to give you no deferral. Because um, I've lived longer now. <laughs> I mean, did you, how did you read that? Well, I had already watched the movie, oh, so I'm trying right. to remember what I thought during the movie. Did I think it was going to work? And my, I don't think I thought it was going to work. I, I I fully did. I, was, I don't remember thinking it was going to work. I was just as crushed as Tommy and Ruth. Oh. And I was like, oh no, they're going to die. Um, I don't think I would think that now. Yeah. They're, this love triangle yeah. was so weird and interesting, mm-hmm. so... It's clear in, like, the first chapter that Kathy loves Tommy. Like, since they were children. Yes. But, reason one why we don't like Ruth, Ruth just decides one day, I'm going to be with Tommy. Yeah, I I will take him. And he's a 13, 14-year-old boy, so he's just like, girl, make me happy? Yes. (laughs) And so he just goes... Also, I have no parents? (laughs) So he just goes for it, and they reminded me so much of, like, a lot of the couples at my middle school where they, like, got together and then just, like, never broke up just because it was, like, I mean, just why? You know, why go through the trouble? Yeah. It was like Ruth and Tommy stayed together just for the convenience, and, like, there was nothing pressing, no reason they needed to break up. They didn't, like, have anything in common. They weren't good friends. That's even brought up that they don't, like, have stuff to talk about. Kathy's like, I have stuff to talk about with him. I help him with his Mm -hmm. temper. I do all this. And Ruth is like whatever, you were here, and I know my best friend loves you, but whatever. And they just stay together forever until... until Which, don't people do that? I mean, yeah. Until Ruth completes, though, right? Yeah. And, yeah. I don't remember exactly how all that went down. So, Ruth, like, unceremoniously completes, and Tommy and Kathy are like, ugh, well, cool, now we can be together. It just, just, like... And, like, you could have been together this whole time. Yeah, and if not... one of you had... It's not, like, this big revelation, like, you know what? I think now that she's gone, what I've realized is that it's been you all along. It's been you... No, it's just, like... And then they start being together. And then they have sad, sick people sex. Uh, (laughs) Like, like the saddest. It's not great. (laughs) And it's not described in great detail. No. For anybody like, listening. It just it, like implies that they did it, but like he's had two organ transplants at this point <laughs> and he like can barely sit up. I don't... Uh, it's a little sad. Uh, <laughs> it was not super sexy. Oh, great. Yeah. And no. it's just like, yeah, and that girl died. She's finally out of the way. And, you know, and I think he does accomplish... Ishiguro accomplishes what he set out to do because I remember in my you know, rose-colored kind of days when I read this book being, like, so frustrated and part of the reason I hated Ruth so much is, like, she wasted so much time for Kathy and Tommy. Like, they had such little time. And it was all wasted. I was like, you guys could have been together this whole time. For some girl who barely liked him and he, I think, barely liked her. And, And, like, did Kathy And Kathy Kathy apparently had no voice at all to say, hey, you're a bad friend and I like him. Hey, Tommy, do you want to go be with me instead? And they probably would have said, yeah, sure. Yeah. Could have just, like... But then, like, 
I have taught. So, okay. So I have taught in public schools for 10 years. And like the fact that he did make them clones as an occasion for this book, they have no other family. And like right. I have had students come through my classroom that clearly don't have a lot of familial influence. And so they do that with their friends. And I'm sitting there as the adult going like, why are you friends with this joker? He's just bringing you down or she's mean to you. But they don't have anybody, and we all want somebody. Right. If these were real people, I would have so much empathy for them, and I would oh, not, yeah. I would not be judging their life choices and saying that they were boring. Yeah. But in a book, I'm judging their life choices and no, saying that they're fair. boring. But yeah, like, I, I do get why they have this, like, really toxic little yeah. triangle thing, and how they put up with a bunch of junk from each other, mm-hmm. and I don't know. This, they spend... They... Um, the author spends a lot of time on things that I think are just really mundane and little, and maybe that's a metaphor for how, like, when your life is really short and you Well, have, like, yeah, there is a thing about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was just like, this is dumb, I don't care about your cassette tape. <laughs> yeah, oh. Oh, it just, like, broke my heart, though, her, like, pretending she had a baby to sing to. Okay, yeah. Oh, it was so sad. I know. <laughs> but it's okay. Um, the other thing, though that gripped me about this book other than the love story and I I did attach to the characters I think more than you did um was the mystery of it which you're gonna probably be like what mystery (laughs) yes that's a good (laughs) thing because you don't know that they're clones till halfway through the book right and you specifically mentioned earlier about how she's just describing like what seems like our world like where are you what is the context And I like mysteries like that, where it's, like, close but just off to where it's, like, your brain's, like, what is different about this? Well, that's actually one of the things that I did. I would not call it a mystery. I think that's broad. but (laughs) A mysterious aspect? (laughs) What I wrote down was, like, I really liked the the world-specific language, like, complete and possible and sales, exchanges, galleries, defer, um, carer. There's these things that are, like, they're obviously real English words that we know, but they're used in this context that only belongs in this world. And he doesn't take time to explain. He just, you know, says the words and you have to go, what's a carer? And I liked that of being like, we're going to find out what a carer is. And like, yeah, they don't really explain what a possible is. You find it out through the context of continuing to read. That stuff is so interesting, and that's why I would have wanted more of this dystopian society, because Handmaid's Tale was the same way. We just, like, learned that this right. person's named Uvglin, and you're like, that is a ridiculous and name. aunts, like, why yeah. are these called aunts? And, and it took The me, Red Center. It took me forever to find out that, like, it was until I met the next handmaid named, like, or no, her name is Of Fred. Yeah. And I, of think, Glenn. I think it was when I met Of Glenn that I was like, it's Offred's not a name, it's of Fred and yeah. of Glenn because she doesn't take time to explain it, or at least I don't. Because she does No, she doesn't. Because yeah. she doesn't need to. And I love. She knows what it means. I love stuff like that where you I are do too. you are expected to be intelligent enough to grasp the world. We're not going to spell it out for you. It could maybe even be interpreted. You know, we'll both like grasp it, but maybe in a slightly different way, like mm-hmm. you did about the clone, like oh, who, who yeah. they're donating for. That I might like stuff. be my faulty memory. <laughs> right. I do think you're wrong about it, but that's fine. But I did I did like that. It, it was just... Yeah. 
So that's something we can agree on because that was yeah. next to the characters and their love story. That was the other thing I really enjoyed reading this book. I remember like turning the pages, trying to figure out what Hailsham was. And I do feel like because of that, I remember the first part of the book a lot more than the second part. Once that's revealed and they're at the cottages and yeah. all that. I don't remember that as vividly. Yeah. I liked that part. I just wish it would have been more interesting. And so at the very end, essentially, a lot of, a lot, some stuff is revealed about, you know, the fact that there are other schools and Hailsham was Mm -hmm. the best school because Mm -hmm. the, you know, and we did collect this art to try and prove to people that you are, you know, people. And this is why we did it. It's to me the kind of thing that should have been sprinkled more throughout the book to drop you hints. Like, another thing that I would be Mm -hmm. told never to do writing, the end can't come right out of nowhere and just happen really fast. (laughs) You have to be, like, progressing, progressing, dropping hints so that when it all fits together, people are like, ah, satisfying. You can't just write 97% of a book and then be like, and then the ending happens and it all is revealed and it all happens really fast. That's, you're not supposed to do that! Unless that's not what you're trying to do. (laughs) Stop telling me that! <laughs> of course, this is if you believe that the author's intention even exists. Yeah, or if the if author's, author's intention dead. matters. Um, but I really liked this. I don't know why. I Now that I'm reading it, it's less poignant, I guess. But I really liked this when I was going through it. How can you ask a world that has come to regard cancer as curable? How can you ask such a world to put away that cure and go back to the dark days? And it's essentially asking... It's because they're discussing the art and trying to prove that people are human. It's saying, how can you ask people to go back to when cancer's not curable in order to treat you like a person? Yeah, because when you that took me a minute mentally. Because the thing she's talking about, the cure, is, is, the clo- is the clones. Yes, is Kathy and Tommy. But out of context... It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then when you realize the cure are other human souls. Yeah. How can you ask people to give up the cure for cancer at the expense of treating you like people? And I guess however uncomfortable people were about your existence, the overwhelming concern was that their own children, their spouses, their parents, their friends did not die from cancer. And so, yeah, I I see what he's doing with, like, mortality and stuff. I just... It should have been an allegorical short story. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. That is fair. Um, It wasn't just garbage, though, that I completely, completely hated. That's why we have, yeah, two and a half stars. A generous two and a half stars. I think that's good. That's fair. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of two and a half stars, um, I want to look at some of the reception of this novel, since we're talking about our personal experiences with it. Yeah. I'm going to make you read some one-star reviews. Yes. So that you a... you have to say with your voice, this <laughs> is a thing we're going to do. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm down with it. But before we do that, I was looking at the Wikipedia page for this, which I was not wrong earlier. Like, literally in the first 10 words on Wikipedia, never let me go, is a 2005 dystopian science fiction novel. Is it, though? <laughs> no. Is it, though? Not if you believe that the author is not dead. Um, so, but they have on Wikipedia, and I've not spent a lot of time on Wikipedia, but they have this little section called Reception, and it's quotes from, you know, people that write for things that have times and post at the end of them. <laughs> um, and just the progression of these quotes I thought was really interesting in light of our conversation. Oh, I hear it. Um, so the first guy, Louis Menand from The New Yorker, describes it as, quote, quasi-science fiction. Sure. 
saying, even after the secrets have been revealed, there are still a lot of holes in the story. It's because apparently genetic science isn't what the book is about. <laughs> I love that. You get to leave plot holes if you say your book's about love instead of science. I'm going to start doing that. If an agent ever says, has plot holes, I'll be like, well, it's a metaphor for love. It's a parable. <laughs> Jesus used those, you know. <laughs> Um, that's yeah. what I'll tell people. So that was the first one. And I remember that was like, Stephanie's going to appreciate <laughs> this. And um, then there's Sarah Kerr from the New York Times characterizes the novel setup as, quote, potentially dime store novel <laughs> and, quote, an enormous gamble. <laughs> um, but then elaborates that the theme of cloning lets Ishiguro push to the limit ideas he's nurtured in earlier fiction about memory and the human self. The school's hothouse seclusion makes it an ideal lab for his fascination with cliques, loyalty, and friendship. Which I have only read two of his other books. The Remains of the Day, which was pre-Never Let Me Go, and then The Buried Giant, which is post. Um, So I I can't speak to his preoccupation with cliques and the human self, but um, she can, apparently. (laughs) Then a horror author, Ramsey Campbell, who I've never heard of. Me neither. Um labeled it as one of the best horror novels since 2000. I'm sorry. (laughs) He did what? His quote is that it is a classic instance of a story that's horrifying precisely because the narrator doesn't think it is. I mean, that part is true. That doesn't mean we place it in the horror section. Like, horrible. No. <laughs> like, excuse me. Is an idea horrifying? Yes, but it's not a horror novel. It is not a horror novel. I, I also, yes, I agree. Bro. Come on. So those were fun. But then it goes into um, Joseph O'Neill from The Atlantic. I appreciate that he suggests that it is instead a coming of age novel. That is more accurate. If it was marketed as that, I think that would be more appropriate as well. Uh, And he writes that Ishiguro's imagining of the children's misshapen little world is profoundly thoughtful, and their hesitant progression into knowledge of their plight is an extreme and heartbreaking version of the exodus of all children from the innocence in which the benevolent but fraudulent adult world conspires to place them. Yeah, I mean, maybe it would have been seen as a really, really interesting coming-of-age story with clones and organ transplants if it had Mm -hmm. been... But instead, it was a really boring dystopian novel that doesn't have... Right. Okay, maybe it's all about marketing. Maybe it yeah. comes down to marketing. I, I think what your perception is going into a book, definitely... He also spent too much time you. on some stuff, though. Sure, that's fair. Um, and then the last one, Theo Tate from The Telegraph wrote, Gradually, it dawns on the reader that Never Let Me Go is a parable about mortality. Uh, a parable about the mortality. The horribly indoctrinated voices of the Halesham students who tell each other pathetic little stories to ward off the grisly truth about the future. They belong to us. We've been told that we're all going to die, but we've not really understood. Dang. Someone got deep. Yeah. <laughs> And just the progression of those, those, so those are all the, quote, receptions of the book on the Wikipedia page. And I, I thought like that it. progression was really interesting. Yes. I'm like, what is this about? <laughs> Plot it's maybe horror. No, it's a parable. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was fun and wanted to share. Yeah, those are like in the exact right order. <laughs> I know. So whoever edited this page, Thanks good job. to the contributors of good Wikipedia. Um, okay, so one star Goodreads reviews. Okay. <laughs> Give me what you got. Well... Let's read this one from Kevin. Okay. You want me to read the whole thing? I think you liked... Well, I, I cut it down because it was talk, long. There are things to talk about. 
I'll I'll do some editing. Okay. But here's here's how Kevin Ansbro starts his uh one star Goodreads review. This is from November twenty third, two thousand nineteen, pre COVID. Oh. Which is something we're gonna talk about later. Did you read this during COVID? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Anyway. You know those irritating people who talk to children and old people as if they were babies in a puerile sing-song voice? Well, those idiots sprang to mind as I endured the narrative voice of this glacially slow yawn fest of a novel. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even <pick> it out. <laughs> uh, he goes on to say that the book is plodding, it's dreary, it's pretentious. Uh... <laughs> but also, he didn't finish it. Right. He, I gave up halfway through. Yeah, That's not fair. Which, I mean, well, you know, I've given up on books. Sure, but you don't leave a review on a book you didn't finish. Uh, Kevin. True, Kevin. Bad form. <laughs> I like that he, with a less than pleased harumph, shoved it onto his bookshelf. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, he liked Remains of the Day, which was interesting. Called that a triumph. So I find that interesting since I've also read that book. You've not read that. No. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't think they were that different <laughs> as far as the tone he's they're definitely for the same type of person yeah anyway hey why don't you read this one from madeline from goodreads okay madeline so the book is about a sort of alternative universe england where people are cloned and the resulting kids are raised in isolated boarding schools spending all their time painting and playing sports and getting vague hints about how when they get older they'll have to make quote donations we learn, eventually and with no drama whatsoever, that these kids were created specifically as future organ donors, and that's all they're meant for. We gradually and laboriously learn about the school's real purpose, but it seems almost like a subplot because the majority of the book is just Kathy nattering on about her school and how she and Ruth got into a fight this one time and also she had a crush on Tommy, but he and Ruth were dating, so Kathy had sex with some other random guys and oh my goodness, can we get back to the organ donor thing? <laughs> <laughs> that is what I thought the whole time. Yeah, is this you? Did you write? Are you mad? No. <laughs> no. Seriously, the whole book is like that. We get the sense that there's some creepy futuristic stuff going on in the background, but our protagonists don't care because they're too busy telling us about the one time Kathy lost her favorite cassette tape and it was very upsetting. But are you sure you didn't write that? No, I did not write uh, that particular review. Okay. But you're not the only one that thought this. Is that reassuring to you? Yes, I was like, these are like you took the thoughts out of my head. Okay. And then Julie. What does Julie have to say? This was a slog for me of epic proportion. I would read a few paragraphs and then my mind would start to wander. Inevitably, I would find something really, really important that needed attention. Like cleaning out the lint trap in the dryer or scrubbing out the cat litter box. <laughs> and the last line of her review is that. I, in bold letters, I cannot forgive Mr. I for having stolen my time so mercilessly, so cruelly. <laughs> <laughs> Much like the time was stolen from Kathy. Okay. <laughs> don't make me feel empathy. By their friend Ruth, who was in their way. No. Right. Um, again, we don't like Ruth. If no. anyone reads this book and likes the book, you're still not allowed to like things, Ruth. Things we agree on. Figuring out what the heck's going on was fun, and we don't like Ruth. Don't like Ruth. <laughs> if you liked Ruth, you're allowed to write an email to us, but we will disagree with you ardently. Um, I did my own little digging on Goodreads, and there was one other one-star review that I thought was worth sharing. Um, I cannot pronounce her name. Ni? Ni? Gwyn? Uh, Wynn. Wynn is her last name? Yeah. Um, Wynn. So sorry uh, about my 
lack of good pronunciation. Hannah obviously did not go to school with a bunch of Vietnamese people. Nope. <laughs> Grew up in Indiana. <laughs> um, so she, bless her heart, she's so sweet at the beginning, but she really didn't like this book. <laughs> She says, well, where should I start? It really pains me to give any book a one-star rating because, to me, books are one of the most precious things in the entire world that we should always appreciate. Oh, that is so sweet. I know. I always try my best to find anything good or appealing in every book that I read, so you should know that I did everything I could <laughs> with this book. I tried so hard. But it just didn't work out. In short, I don't know how this piece of so-called literature got published in the first place. I mean... <laughs> And then, this is why I found her review interesting. I bought this book because the hype surrounding it, because it seemed like everyone around me was talking about it. It's a dystopian fiction novel. Hello, I'm a massive fan of dystopian fiction. Duh. There is even a movie based on the book. These facts should mean that it could have been at least bearable, if not fascinating or wonderful, to read Never Let Me Go. But it turned out to be even far worse than bearable. <laughs> and she goes on. But that, I think, yeah, speaks to... The, and that's why we ask, what did you know about this book? Because that does impact mm -hmm. what you end up thinking. Yes. So, And inevitably, we're not going to go out of our way to learn things, but inevitably we'll read some books that have been out there for a while. Right. So like, we'll know something. Probably your friend read it and told you about it. Right. I, there's going to be something. Um. So, yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Okay, so one star reviews. Um, I think I've said the things I've liked about it. Yeah, um, I think that's our conclusion of the topic of Never Let Me Go. Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, still do. I'm interested to go back and reread it now, though. Yeah, I want to see if um, not so in love in Europe, Hannah. I yeah. Well, we shall see. So, Stephanie, do you still hate it, or have you found things you like about it? The things that made me give it a two and a half star instead of a one star were these things that I appreciated about it, which mm -hmm. we've discussed. Mm -hmm. I already appreciated those small things. Sure. Same. I give it the same two and a half stars. There you go, folks. Just like on social media, two people talking to each other, but our opinions don't change. <laughs> the point though well we would like to hear if anyone else has read this book mm -hmm. um did you like it did you not like it um were there things we didn't bring up that we should have perhaps right um you can write to us at hate this book pod at gmail.com and let us know what you thought of never let me go if you've read it um so are you ready for the book that you have to read oh yes next book yes i've already started it i'm about halfway through okay uh, do you want to introduce her? Yeah. So your book that I think you're going to hate is Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. I loved this book, but I'm afraid you're going to hate it. I am remaining neutral until we record that episode. <laughs> and until I finish the book, I am not going to be a Kevin. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks. Bye.